The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guests' thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. Welcome back to Kavah the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. Nature or nurture? Why do we become the way that we are? Do we determine our future or does our upbringing define us? Today's guest has spent her entire life answering that question. I was actually terrified of my father, but I found out later in life that um, my uh, my mother had gotten pregnant with me and my parents got married because they, because of me. Mm-hmm. OK, so that would explain kind of hitting my father's you know resentment toward me. Most people would say that Cindy's story was decided before she was born. When she took her first breath, she inherited a legacy of abuse and bitterness in her family. But Cindy didn't let that shape her destiny. She made the decision to blaze a new trail, to forgive. I didn't want to repeat, you know, my childhood. So I was very determined to make sure that my kids would grow up in a stable house. But forgiveness wasn't easy. For some of us, it's the hardest thing we'll ever do. Welcome to Kava. Tell me how you say your last name. Jellormini. So my husband's nickname was Jello. I always tell oh, people that. It's okay. not it's not Galormini, it's Jell or Mini. Jellormini. Okay, Cindy Jellormini. That's yes. a beautiful name. What is it? It's Italian. Okay, it's Italian. Does it mean something? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I'm with Cindy. I have no idea. Uh, Cindy, it's my husband's. You yes, know, I don't know. Yes, I get that. I get that. <laughs> um, well, good morning. Thank you so much for being on Kava, and I appreciate your taking the time for this. Um, so, tell me, what is your first memory? Uh, my first memory, I, I remember being four years old, um, and I remember different things that happened when I was four years old. Um, uh, I remember getting my first pet, and uh, which was a cat, um, and I couldn't think of a name for her. And my father finally pressured me one day as he was walking out the door. He says, "Just tell me a name now." And I said, "I don't know, Snoopy." Oh, <laughs> bunch of the go. Peanuts cartoons, I guess. So that was my first cat. Uh, I remember riding on the back of his bike one time, and my foot got caught in a spoke, and it sprained my ankle, and I ended up in the hospital uh, with that. And then I ended up getting pneumonia at four. And that was a traumatic event because um, I was in the hospital, and your your parents were not allowed to stay with you then. I was in Harrisburg at the time, and they were giving me shots every day, and I was tired of getting the shots. And And the doctor came in one day with a turban on his head, 
And I went like this and he said, do you want me to spank you? And I no, you know, and I let him give me a shot. So ever since then, I've been afraid of needles. Mm. <laughs> but, but there's more to it than that. I, I, my father came to see me. I remember this. He came to see me in the hospital and I said, that's okay, daddy, you don't have to come. Cause I didn't want to see him because I was actually terrified of my father. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's a long thread through my story, okay. but that is one of my first memories. And I, and my father remembered that too. And that it hurt him too, but okay. yeah. Wow. But, but when you're four years old, you're honest. Yes. Yes. Um, well, so that, that just shows you, you know, my reaction to the doctor and that was the worst possible thing he could have said to me because I was growing up with an abusive father. Okay. So for an authority figure like that to threaten, to spank me, right. You know, I, so I always had this fear of doctors and needles, you know, and, and fear of any authority, mm, you know, throughout right. my life. So a lot of healing that had to right. come right. about. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> so where did you grow up? You said Harrisburg. Well, that was Harrisburg, but we, we moved a lot. We, we used to move like every other year when I was okay. growing up. Um, uh, and no, we were not a military family. It was just, um, I don't know, just unstable. And mm. my, I don't know, my mother always wanted to move. I think, I, I don't know what, I don't know why we moved a lot when we were little, but, um, and I used to have these recurring nightmares that I was, uh, that it was the first day of school and I was the new kid and I didn't know anybody, you know, oh, because wow. it was it's scary right. you know, going into that situation all the time. Um, but we lived in, um, I grew up in Harrisburg and then we lived, then we came to New Jersey for a while. And then my parents wanted to move back to Pennsylvania. So they bought this, um, they, 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 they're like duplexes mm -hmm. in Bethlehem right, right. and we, we lived there and my father bought a, a truck and he used to haul, um, mobile homes okay. um, and then and I don't know how long we, I was there in second grade and third grade I think and then they went bankrupt uh, lost everything oh, wow. um, and then we moved to Allentown and we lived in a townhouse for a while and then he was driving a truck all night and used to sleep all day and my mother had a job during the day so my mother would leave um but in Bethlehem, oh, the reason they bought the townhouse was because there was a storefront out front, and my mom was a, a, a dance teacher, and mm -hmm. she had a ballet studio out in the front. Mm -hmm. So that, that I loved. I yeah. used to love, I, I could just go downstairs and go right into the dance yeah. studio and go dance, and um, and then when nobody was in there, I would play music, you know, I'd play Donny Osmond, yeah. and, you know, and I'd get a microphone and be in front of the, <laughs> in front of the mirrors, and, awesome. you know, would sing and play. Um, but that's when my dad, my dad just started becoming like abusive. I remember him, you know, hitting my mom. I remember him one day, she was in front of the refrigerator and he took a gallon of milk and he just poured it over her head and she just oh, stood there and man. cried. Like she didn't fight back. She didn't do anything. She just stood there and cried. Um, and that's when I started becoming really, really afraid of my dad. Cindy learned early on that she had to protect herself from her father. Instead of relying on him for protection, she found her escape in music. 
but but there were good memories there too because right. the really cool thing about that house was there was a third floor and it had a stage it had this pink stage in the playroom and my cousins would come over and we would put on plays you know and oh. so there's all this creative stuff right. that was going on that was like my escape yes. you know we'd come up yes. plays and singing music and dancing and the dancing was the only time that I could spend time with my mom if when I went uh, for dance because she was always teaching I wow. really never saw her much um then they lost that and then and then she got uh, we moved to this townhouse and she got a job working as a secretary I think so she would leave all day and it was me and my sister that's a year younger than me and my brother that was five years younger than me there were the three of us and we pretty much were home alone while my dad was asleep and god forbid you woke him up right. because he woke up like right. a, a maniac um, so we just stayed out of the house as much as we could. And we were there over the summer. So we used to go to the pool. They had a pool in the complex and we would just play all day with the kids. Then, um, he took a job working for a church as their, you know, custodian or whatever. And there was a house on the property uh -huh. of the church. So we moved to this town called Western Salisbury. It was near Allentown. And, um, my dad's job was, you know, doing all the maintenance for the church, but they also had this huge cemetery that he had to take care of all the, the, the landscape and he put us all to work. Okay. So, so I used to have to clean the church, clean the toilets, I would vacuum, you know, the rugs and do all of that. And then I spent my summer clipping grass around tombstones all day. And my dad would ride the tractor. And you have to understand that my dad grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. okay. So kids are farmhands, basically. Okay, right. you, you put the kids to work. Right. Even my little brother, you know, five years old, he'd be, you know, he'd be out there working. And I remember we had this dog. We had this cute dog um, that, that used to run free because you could do that in right. Pennsylvania. <laughs> and beyond the cemetery were, were cornfields, you know, okay, and there yeah. was this creek. There was a creek down the, down the street. And the dog used to run down to the creek and then would come back all, all muddy and right. wet and happy because it was playing all day. And I remember wishing that I was the dog because at least the dog got to go play. You know, I couldn't play. And it was right. like, and I remember one time uh, a, a friend from school had asked me to come over and play and where we lived was all the way at the end of the street, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like the dead end. So I had to ride past the church and the cemetery, past the schools to get to the neighborhood where the, where all the other kids lived. And I rode my bike and I saw my dad on the tractor and, and I was trying so hard to get past him. Right. So he wouldn't see me and he saw me and he stopped me and he made me go back home and I wasn't allowed to play. Mm. Um, I, and I don't know why, you know, I, I found out later you know, as an adult, um, much later, he had to go to therapy and my little sister used to go with him. And when he was a kid growing up on the farm, um, he had a younger brother and sister that used to stay home and play all the time, but he had to work mm -hmm. and he was very resentful right. of that. And so somehow he took that out on us. Like we were his younger siblings and made us do all the work and he would put us out to work and he would go home and take a nap. Mm. and leave us out there alone um so to this day i have an issue with laziness people right. taking naps right you know right. just bring something up in me like right. you know you get up right <laughs> if right. i have to work you have to work right <laughs> right so uh so anyway then um the church board got together and um fired my father because he was making his children do his job uh, so now we were losing our home and job and everything. So 
my grandmother had married a minister in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And so that's, and that was my grandfather, the only grandfather I knew. So he, uh, he created the same job for my father in New Jersey because the the church owned a house right next door. And my grandfather lived upstairs from the church and he, um, it was an Episcopalian church. And so he uh, got my father a job doing the same thing, wow. doing all the maintenance, taking care of the lawn, whatever. And we got to live in the house yeah. as, as part of it. So we packed up now and we moved to New Jersey. And um, <laughs> first we lived in, first we lived in Summit for six months until the house was ready. And then we moved over to New Providence where, where we lived then. And, uh, and the kids were a lot more advanced than they were. In, in Pennsylvania, like I was still wearing, this was in the mid seventies and I was still wearing belt bottoms and these kids oh. were wearing straight legs, you right. know, and they started making fun of me oh. and I had never experienced that before, right. you know? Um, so I, about you know, how old are you? I was in sixth grade. Oh gosh. That's hard. That's like the worst time. Yeah. Hard <laughs> age. And, uh, and I came home crying and I told my parents, you have to take me, like, I would ask these kids, like, where do you buy these pants like where do you go shopping you know like right. what you know and I told my parents like, you have to buy me new clothes like right. I can't I can't deal with it. that so um and so we lived there for a few months and then we moved again oh, wow. then we moved over to 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 the it was the next town over um and luckily we had started going to my grandfather's church and I had made a friend and she was at my new school so at least I knew one person there but you know it's this constant moving and I'm already you know insecure and you know whatever and then you have a hard time at school but then you coming home is not right. A sanctuary. So again, my father put us all to work. Okay. And at this church, my grandfather's church, they had a, um, a very vibrant, uh, preschool there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, every day we had to come straight home and go to work. And we used to clean the, all the preschool classrooms. Okay. Um, and my five-year-old brother, his job was putting the little chairs on top of the table. And right. then my sister and I, we had to sweep the floors, vacuum the rugs. Uh, then we'd go upstairs and then we would, uh, we had to clean the bathrooms. And then once a week we had to go vacuum the whole church. And then um, at, and then they, and my mom taught ballet mm. in the, in the parish hall. Right. Um, and then after that, they used to have AA meetings there at night. So as I got older and I was in high school, um, I had to go, we had to set up tables and chairs for the AA meetings. And then when they were done at like 11 o'clock at night, I had to go back, take down the tables, take down the chairs, put them away, lock up the church. And eventually my father just, you know, pulled away and just, I guess, because I was capable, Right. I did it. And I would put these heavy tables all by myself. I'd fold up the legs and pick them up and shove them in the closet, you know, and do, and I did all this work and nobody said anything. Wow. Nobody complained. I'm, I, I'm like, how, how did my father get fired for this at the other place? But they let it happen here, right. you know, and my grandparents knew what was going on, but they didn't do anything about it. Cindy didn't know this as a child, but she was not the first child employed in her family line. But, but it, this was my grandmother that you know, put my father to work, you know, oh, so I didn't, I didn't realize, okay. you know, all this until later, okay. but, and so, so the things that I started to find out later was my grandmother in the 1940s, she was a very famous singer. She and her oh, sisters wow. were, they were the Pickens sisters. They were like the Andrews sisters. Okay, they used to yeah. sing on the radio. They did a movie with Ginger Rogers. Oh, they were very, wow. very famous. Um, 
and uh, and then they kind of split up and they all got married. But I think what happened is I uh, my grandmother met my biological grandfather. They, he was a singer also on the radio, uh, and they got married and then had my father. And my grandmother was very young. Uh, I think she was probably maybe she was only 19 or something. I'm not quite sure, but I have a feeling that my grandmother got pregnant with my father mm-hmm. and, th- and, uh, and that ended her career. And I oh, think okay. she was resentful of him. And I have okay. a feeling that's why he got put out to, to work, mm-hmm. you know, but then the other two were planned, you know? And uh, so she, she, she nurtured them and babied them and treated them differently. Right. Um, and my grandfather used to, you know, he used to hit my father with a switch. He used to make him go get his own branch off the tree and whittle it so that my grandfather could hit him with the switch, you know? And that was like normal stuff yeah. that, you know, like the way that people used to hit their right, kids. Right, and, right. You know, so my father grew up, you know, kind of messed up in the head, um, I guess. Uh, you know, I found out all this stuff out, you know, much later. So it's right. where you put the pieces together, like right. why, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, and and I, I remember coming home from school, and if I heard the tractor, I was like, oh, that means this is a cutting the grass day. So that means I had to start with like he would run the tractor, and I had to get out get the lawnmower and do all the edges, you know, right, or, or, or right. I had to rake the leaves or whatever. Then I had to go clean the nursery school, and then I'd have to go, you know, do AA and get home. And and I remember talking to one of my teachers in school, and. Uh, and he couldn't believe I was doing all this amount of work. And he said, and how much are you getting paid? I'm like, I don't get paid. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't get paid for this. What do you mean? Like, it didn't even occur to me. Right. So then I told my father, I should be getting paid for this. And uh, so AA used to give him a check for $100 a month. So he let he would give me that check. Right? Oh, get $100. Wow. Yeah. So I probably was making 50 cents an hour. I don't right. Know. Right. Cindy was hungry for hope. And she found it in church. <sighs> Let me think. When was this? All right. So in seventh grade, so we were had been living there for about a year or so, about maybe a year or two years. Um, we had what was called a Faith Alive weekend at my grandfather's church, and it was a group of uh, Christians within the Episcopal Church, but they had all uh, been been born again and they we had this whole weekend where they all would come and they would tell stories they would tell their testimonies and they would say about how they were talking to God and God would talk back to them or he would answer their prayers and I was like man I want to know God like that you know so I uh then we broke up and all the teenagers went together and the teenagers would tell their stories and stuff and 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 I went into it though see I was mad because my father made me go they were having a dance at school you know at seventh grade and he wouldn't let me go to the dance he made me go to the Save Alive weekend and I I had an attitude you know I didn't want to do it then when we went with all the teenagers and stuff, you know, it was like kind of cool. And then Saturday morning, you know, we, we went, had coffee at people's house and you have a luncheon and you do the potluck dinner. But all this whole time I'm hearing these people and, I was, and, and it was like, I can't even explain the whole atmosphere. It was like something I had never felt before. It was like, it was like, it was joyful and it was a love. And it was like, I, I, I never felt anything like it. And, uh, and then, and the kid, one of the kids said, he says, all you have to do is pray and ask Jesus into your heart. So I went home that night and I laid in my bed and I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart. I had my eyes closed and I saw, and, and I don't know if, if you want to call it a vision or what, but it, it's kind of like when you close your eyes and like, or like you're having a dream. I saw myself in the bottom of a pit 
and Jesus was standing at the top of the pit and he reached down and he, he was up in the light and he reached down and he grabbed me and pulled me up out of the pit. So, um, so that, and, and my, and then Sunday came and they did an altar call and my parents went up, my sisters, like my whole family all, all got saved that week and they all gave their lives to Jesus. Um, so, and then the pe the, the man that ran that faith alive weekend, he used to have Bible studies at his house once a month. So my parents started going to that. So, so that was a big change over us. There was a huge change in my father. There was a huge change in my mom, you know, like uh, the whole dynamic changed. Um, uh, and I had found out later in life, <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole, I had to put all this stuff together, but I found out later in life that, um, my, uh, my mother had gotten pregnant with me and my parents got married because they, because of me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that would explain kind of hitting my father's, you know, resentment toward me. Right. Repetition of what happened with yes. his mother. Right. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, they, and they always fought and they never got along. And it was just always this constant, you know, trauma. Um, I, I have memories of my father, you know, had beating my sister and brother. And I had to listen to them screaming and burying, burying my head, you know, with pillows so that I couldn't hear it. You know, it was just, it was so traumatic. My mom would go off and teach ballet and leave us alone with my father. And he, he couldn't handle us. So he'd lock my sister in the closet. He'd lock me in the basement, you know, he'd hit us. He'd do, you know, and my mother had no idea that any of this stuff was going on. And we never told her. Um, so anyway, so this was a big change, you know, my father softened up, my, you know, my mother softened up and they, they decided that, uh, they were going to go away to Canada for, uh, for a couple of days for, um, like a mini honeymoon or whatever, because they decided they do love each other now. And then when they came home, my mom was pregnant with my little sister. So I was in eighth grade at this time. So, so, um, so my little sister, Kristen came along and then because she, since she was so much younger than the rest of us, they decided a year later, they were going to have another baby. So they had my brother, Bobby. So, um, being, really, I was an adult. I, I really, I had no childhood. My childhood right. was completely taken away from me. So I really was, I was an adult really at this point. So, so now I was charged with taking care of my baby sister as well. So my mom would go off, go off and teach ballet. I don't know where my father went. And my, my, I would take my, I would have my baby sister and I'd bring her and put her in her little infancy while I'm cleaning the nursery school by myself, you know? So, so I'm taking care of a baby and doing my father's job, you know? And then, and when my mother was pregnant, I would have to step in at some time and teach classes for her too, because as oh she got God. too far along, she couldn't do it. So I, I pretty wow. much did everything. And I'd have to go, then I'd go, I'd go home and make dinner, you know, because my mother never cooked either. Like we'd have to, <laughs> I did everything. Wow. And I had been going when I was in high school. I, there was a, there was a church in the next town over that used to have a youth group with all these uh, high school kids that were all Christians. They were all my friends at the time. And I used to ride my moped. I used, this is funny. I used to go to church uh, Sunday morning at my grandfather's church. And then mm -hmm. Sunday night, I ride my moped to the next town okay. over. And I was to go to the other church <laughs> yeah. over there. And I, and I had just read this book. Um, it was called Susan Atkins, child of Satan, child of God. She was uh, with Charles Manson yes. and, and, and yeah. she had gone to prison and she yeah. became a Christian while she was in yeah. prison. And, and they found this old oil tank that they filled with water and they, and they, she got baptized in, in, in the, in the prison yard. Right. And I had just read that story and I go to this church to visit and, um, 
and they were doing a water baptism. They had lifted the, a panel off of the altar floor and there was a, a big, like a water tank uh -huh. inside there. They filled it with water. It was kind of like a hot tub down in there. Uh -huh. And these people are going in this hot tub and getting baptized. I was like, oh my God, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Oh, this wow. is great. I just read this. You right. know, like I knew right. it was like God was directing me, yeah. you know? So I did and I got baptized and my parents came and, and all that stuff. This change in her parents was a glimmer of light. But unfortunately, it didn't last long. Cindy once again found herself wanting to escape her home. She continued to find a sanctuary in music until one day she met someone who could be her ticket out of the house. So um, then after then after about two years or whatever, my father just started to get nasty again. And um, he did something to my sister, Lisa, uh, that upset her to this day. I don't know what he did, but she took off and left and oh, she wow. went and lived with a friend of hers. Her father was a cop. Mm -hmm. And so my fun, so my father couldn't do anything about it because I'm sure he was afraid. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Bullies are always afraid of somebody that, right. You know, can stop them. That's stronger than them. So, so that's why now in high, that, and she was 16 at this time. So, and I, I was 17. So that's why now I did everything by myself. Like right. I didn't even have my sister to help me anymore. Um, and, uh, and then, and then I, and then when I was up at the church, like at late at night, when nobody was there, I used to play the piano and I would, and I would sing and I would play the piano and I would learn how to play worship songs and stuff. And so that was kind of my, again, you know, going over to my creativity to right. as sort of my escape. Right. Um, but, and, but then when my, and then I met, um, and then, of course, because I wasn't getting paid uh, and I wanted to make money and I got I, I got a job working at Friendly's. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I would do that on top of all this other stuff. Um, and I would I, I went to work at Friendly's and there was a group of firemen that used to come in like young guys, like 20, 21 years old, you know, and they used to they used to come in there every day. And I met them and became friends with them because uh, the firehouse was right down the street. So they used to they would, uh, they'd come home from work and then they'd come and stop in at Friendly's for coffee or whatever, go to the firehouse. So they'd come back and stop in for coffee on the way home. It was just kind of where they would gather instead of a bar, you know, they would yeah. go to Friendly's and have coffee. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a major crush on, on this one guy and, and, um, and named Robert and he became my boyfriend. And um, he was so sweet. He, he, <laughs> He felt, when I started telling him, when he started to see what was really going on, you know, he became oh. very, as a fireman, it's, it's his instinct to right. protect and, right. you know, take care, take care of me, you know. And um, I remember I'd be all sweaty and I had grass cuttings all over me, you know, and he'd be like, you know, brush it off. And, oh. you know, he felt so bad and he wanted to protect me and take care of me. And, and, um, and one morning he left his car for me outside and walked to work so that I could have the car to go to school, oh, you know, and I had sweet. never, no, nobody ever took care of me like that right. before, you know, it was so sweet. Um, and that was around the time when uh, Princess Diana had gotten married yes. too, you know, and, and I, and I lived in this fantasy world, you know, yes. you know like, you know, I wanted to have this, he was my, he was my Prince Charming that was going to sweep me off my feet. Yes, you know? yes. Um, so, so one, so my father, he had something going on, he some project or whatever, and he needed to move furniture or something. And he wanted me to ask Robert to help him, uh, move. And I said, no, 
He's like, what do you mean no? I said, no, no, because I didn't want him to now start using Robert right. the way he used right. me. Right. And I said, no. And he slapped me across my face and threw my head back like this. And I turned back and I just glared at him. And I was like, and I hated him at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and after hearing him, you know, you know, hitting my, I mean, he was brutal to my brother. I mean, my father used to, and it was always for nothing. Like I would go, I, I would walk to school and he told me it was so tightly controlled. He told me I had to walk home always on the same route. And, and my friends would take a shortcut and walk through the neighborhood. And I did that one time and he came looking for me and couldn't find me. So I would get hit for that, you know, or my, and my brother, he used to take a, the, the, the nursery school had wooden blocks and there was one long thin block that he used Mm -hmm. to use to hit my brother. And, and to hear that and listen to that would just go right through me, you know, and I, I wanted to jump on him and say, don't touch him, you know, whatever. And I couldn't. And I I remember even, you know, I remember one time even wishing I had a gun. So, because I just couldn't, you know, because I just wanted to protect my siblings and that was, there's nothing you can do. Um, Yeah. So So um, where was I going with that? uh, He asked Robert. Oh, so, so yeah. So when he, so at that point, my father hit me, right. And I looked back and I glared at him. I, I had gotten hard now at that mm. point, and I, I never cried. Mm. I, I remember noticing that about myself, that it, for like a couple of years, I couldn't cry. Mm. And that was it. I was just tough. And that was the last straw for me. And I told, and, and, my, and Robert and I, we were talking about getting married. Now, mind you, I'm only a senior in high school, right. you know? only 18 years old we were talking about getting married and my husband's like that's it I don't want you going back and so he I I just when my dad wasn't there one day I just packed up my stuff and went to his house wow um and my grandfather we had talked to my grandfather about you know getting married already and we were going to do like a little wedding in September just Mm -hmm. like yeah you know 20 people you know whatever not a big thing and then, and after that happened, I packed up and moved it out. I called my grandfather and I said, I want to get married now. I don't want to wait. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, honey, whatever you want. <laughs> and, and so we just went, my, my husband's brother and sister came as our witnesses. Karen was 17. Michael was uh, in eighth grade. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we weren't even old enough to be witnesses. And, um, and uh, we we just went and got alone. My grandfather married us. We and uh, and we went down to the Jersey Shore for the weekend oh. for our little honeymoon. And <laughs> yes. then and then we came back home. And I had and then I called my parents to tell them. Oh wow! Um, but I I felt safe because I was away from my dad, and I felt right. safe, you know. And I was with right. my husband now, and I had his family. And then I was like, ha ha! There's nothing you can do about it. Mm. You know? Um, and, uh, and so his parents had a two family house and, um, and I know they thought, well, we'll never make it, you know, right, right. uh, (laughs) but we did. And so, and then things were good and we got along, you know, really well for like the first year or so. And then, uh, you know, because you're on your good behavior, you know, and, um, uh, and it's, you're all in your honeymoon phase, you Mm -hmm. know, and we didn't really know each other that well. And, uh, we, we, we got to know each other, um, and then his family, and here's the attraction, his family, they're Italian, mm-hmm. and his mother would put dinner on the table every night at 5.30, mm-hmm. and they right. would all sit and have dinner together yes. as a family, okay? Yes. And they were like this picture-perfect family to me that I right. wanted to be, right. and I that I never had, 
Um, his parents, you know, got along great. They would go out, you know, they'd come back, you know, in a, in a good mood, you know, and, and, the, and, you know, his siblings were, you know, happy, whatever. And I wanted, I just wanted right. to be part of a family. I right. just wanted a family of my own right. and I wanted a happy family. So, you know, a lot of people probably can't understand why would you elope? I'm like, well, that's because I wanted, I, I right. just wanted a stable, happy family. And, um, and so, and my mother-in-law taught me how to cook. Uh, she taught, you know, <laughs> she told me how to make, how to make, uh, how to make macaronis and meatballs and oh, pasta yeah. wool and, <laughs> and all that stuff. Good stuff. Um, and then, um, and then two years later, I was pregnant with twins. Oh, yay. And so, and I wasn't really that scared of it because I had already, you know, raised my Right. siblings you know right. so I already knew how to give them bottles and change diapers and do that stuff right. but twins was kind of a push yeah <laughs> I remember being afraid to come home from the hospital you know like oh my gosh they're they're mine right you know right. They're not somebody else it's different when it's your siblings you know because right. they're still not really your responsibility but I'm like oh my god they're mine yeah but my mother-in-law was there so she helped me okay. um, what know, are you so about 20 are you about 20 years old at this point? I was 20. I, 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 yeah, I, I had just turned 21 okay. three weeks before they were born. Um, yeah, and I had gone to work also. Um, I went to, I, I got a job working where she worked. Okay. Um, I, I, I knew how to type, so I got a job you know, working as a, doing typing, doing kind of secretarial stuff. So I, I worked there until I had the, until I had the girls. And then I stayed home with them and, uh, and raised them. And they were perfect beautiful babies I mean they were so good they smiled all the time they were always happy I could take them anywhere they never cried or complained I could just pop them in the stroller take them shopping you know whatever they were angels angels and if they cried it turned out that they were they were sick or they had an ear infection or something after a while I learned them I said okay if they're crying something's wrong Cindy was finally building the life she'd always wanted she loved her kids well instead of raising them in another abusive home. She even got a job working with music and dance. And so I, uh, I got a job um, teaching aerobics, oh. sort of like a jazzercise, right. yes. uh, because this way I could, and because I had, I always danced. I was, I was in ballet company and stuff. That was my one joy of yeah. what was ballet. Loved it, you know. And that was a time where I spent with my mom, and that's when I was happy. Um, so this used my dance background, yes. uh, and I got a job working in a in a health club, and they had a nursery. Okay. So I could bring the girls, and I could put them in the nursery, right. and you know, teach them classes, yes. take a shower, you know, without having to walk, yes. you know. <laughs> That's kind of hard to do sometimes when you have kids. It's like, yeah. I had time to even take a shower. So it was great. I had time to take a shower and then we'd come home. Um, you know, so that, so that worked out well. Uh, and I worked there for a couple of years. And, but in the meantime, um, throughout this whole eloping and getting married, I had stopped going to church because I had kind of lost my faith, you know, in God, because I thought, well, you know, okay, once you give your life to God, now that means everything's going to be great for right. the rest of your life. Everything's going to come up roses all the time. Right. And then when, you know, things started going down, down south again at home, I was like, well, God, where are you? Right. You know, where are you? You know, you're not helping me. So I'm going to have to do this myself. You know, I'm going to take care of my, I'm going to, I'm taking over now. You know, my dad started acting out. And after a while, I was like, well, okay, well, this obviously isn't working. So I stopped going to church. 
um, you know, met my husband who was not a Christian and I, you know, got married and I go off and I'm living, you know, and then I have my babies and, you know, I, I, it, it wasn't working for me. I was like, I need, I need to go back to church. I need, I, I need God in my life again. And my, a friend of mine, my high school friend that I used to go to church with called me out of the blue. She said, can I come see you? And I said, sure. You know, so she comes over to see me and I'm, I'm smoking a cigarette. You know? <laughs> and she says, are you going to church? And I said, no, cause I don't know where to go. You know? Yeah. And she says, well, I've been going to this place for a couple of months. I want you to come with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, okay, sure. So I went and it was, uh, it was one of those mega churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in the eighties. This was 80, the girls were born in 85. So this was probably 86, 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walked in and I was like, wow, this is great. They, you know, the music was great, you know, and it was, it was vibrant and, and people were so excited to be there, you know, and, uh, and it was, and it was very, uh, culturally mixed, you know, so, so, um, you know, growing up in a, in an all white Episcopalian church, (laughs) this is is different, but this was cool. This was fun, you know, and, um, you know, they would dance and say, you know, shout hallelujah. And, you know, it was like, this is awesome. This, this yeah. is fun. Um, so, so I would go there and I'd put the girls in the nursery. Getting involved in church again had its consequences. As hard as Cindy tried to give her children a stable upbringing, there were some things that she simply couldn't control. But my husband didn't like it and he was very threatened by it. Um, and we, he would fight with me every time I would go. Um, and that's when things started getting, getting ugly, you know, and, 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 uh, and, you know, one time he just, he came at me, shoved me against the wall. And he's like, it's me or that church. I said, well, I'm not going to hell for you. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to church. You know, it's like, it's crazy. And I'd pack up the kids and I'd go. Um, and then, and my husband had a, had a job where he was plowing snow. And so we, we had a lot of bad snowstorms that year. So he'd be up all night um, you know, plowing snow and then he'd come home and he'd have to sleep. Mm-hmm. And now growing up the way I did, yes. okay, I was terrified yes. of when he was gonna wake up, yes. you know, because he was gonna be ugly, you yes. know, and he was gonna be nasty. And I would, you know, and I'd uh and I'd take the kids out for like wrong long ride in the car just to keep them safe, you know, because that was in my nature now to keep the kids safe from the big bad daddy. Yeah. Um and I was afraid of having kids myself. Like I didn't want to repeat, right. you know, my childhood. So right. I was very determined to make sure that my kids would grow up in a stable house. Um, you know, and, and I prayed and I asked God, please show me how to be a good parent. Right. Um, and he did, you know, and, and basically the way I did that was to do everything, the exact opposite of everything my parents did. Right. <laughs> That's all I had to do. Right. Not that hard to figure out. Right. Um, so, and I also, you know, I, I made sure that we stayed in this town the whole time that they right. grew up. We didn't yeah. move, you know, yeah. cause I didn't want them to have that. Right. But, and I didn't want them to grow up in a, in a house where the parents were fighting, but we just did, you know, mm-hmm. we, we fought, we fought a lot, but thankfully they could go downstairs to my mother-in-law, you know, oh, yeah. go downstairs, you know, if we were fighting, um, but yeah, but that it, it wasn't good. And then, um, so I'm working at the health club and I've got the girls and the girls, we went, 
So now my relationship, I, I, I didn't see my father that much, but when I did, he would be on his better behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And right. at this point, my parents had gotten divorced. Oh. Um, and my little brother and sister that were born when I was right. in eighth and ninth grade, they were living with my father. Oh, wow. And that's when I saw my mother had had my other brother she would keep moving like every year she would move like somewhere else oh, wow. and I was like okay. oh so th- she's the one to blame for that that was always moving okay. all the time my father at least stayed in the same place right. and my and my father had punched my brother I think and knocked his teeth out wow and he went to school and my brother this is my brother Tom who's five years younger than me I think he had Asperger's and it, that was never diagnosed right so he had issues with staying in school and and things and and my first time my father was just so brutal to him and mm-hmm. um, and and it's because my mother my mother was polish and there's a lot of like the polish the italians there's like certain eth- ethnic ethnicities that favor the boys and the baby mm-hmm. boys in the family and my yeah. mother favored my brother tom and i think my father always took that out on tom you know because mm-hmm. she didn't show him love but she showed it to my brother right. and he was just brutal to him hitting him all the time so he hit my brother one time and he went to school and the teachers asked him what happened right. and he told them okay. so my, and they called Dyfus on okay. my father. So now my father couldn't get away with his nonsense anymore because he'll get in trouble. And right. that's when he had to start seeing a therapist okay. and my sit and my little, and my, my brother, Tom moved out and he went with my mother um, and my little brother and sister lived with my dad but they would go to therapy and my sister had told me some of the stuff that he talked about you know about how about how he always got put out to work and got hit right, with the switch and right. all that kind of stuff which I, I never knew that stuff um and my little sister now my father favored my little sister mm. when she came along I saw such a change in my father he like like she he changed his her diaper one day and she peed on him and he's like, oh, that's okay. It's Kristen's pee. You know, it's like, oh, my, my baby. He would sleep and take naps holding her. You know, he, yeah. she was so precious to him. And I was like, oh, oh, so you can be nice. Right. You really can be nice to your yeah. kids. You actually can love your kids. Right. Who knew? But I wasn't resentful. I was okay. relieved. I oh. was relieved that I didn't have to worry about him treating her the way he yeah. had treated the rest of us. Right. I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. he'll be different now right um so my sister had a different relationship with him where she could stand up to him right so anyway so okay so I'm working I'm working at the health club and my the and my father now occasionally when I did see him he would be nice he had bought a timeshare in Florida mm-hmm. and he used to take my little brother and sister once a year and then he invited me to come and bring my girls. My girls were like four years old now at the time. And um, we drove down in, in, in a minivan and I brought my sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, cause I was living in the two family house with my sister-in-law and she was like my best friend. Oh, um, so I brought my sister-in-law and my two girls and my two little brother and sister, my dad, and we all drove down to Florida and we took turns driving. And he was nice while he was down there. Um, but my girls, had gotten had been exposed in the gym to the chicken pox. So while we got while we were on that trip, they broke out in the chicken pox. Oh gosh. And and they didn't feel good and they had fevers. They were whining. And my dad said, Your kids are brats. I'm like, no, my kids are not brats. My kids are sick. Right. You know? So um, but but that was it. And and then and then and they 
when we went into Disney World, he he wanted everything done on a schedule. You have to be here at this time, here time. The parade is here. Da 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 da. And uh, and I just rebelled against him. I, I said, no, I'm not going. You know, so I skipped the parade and I took my kids and we went yeah. and we met Mickey Mouse. You know, yeah. and he was mad at me. I'm yeah. like, you can't tell me what to do right. anymore. Right. You, know? you right. just can't. Sorry, you know. But there was nothing he could. You know, he had already been in trouble with diapers and already, you know, whatever. Right. There's nothing he can do. And I'm an adult at this point now with yes. my own kids. Despite the difficulties with her father and her husband, Cindy didn't give up. She stayed in her marriage and continued to raise her children the way she intended. So when we came home from that trip, I found out I was pregnant um, with my son, Robbie. So uh, Robbie was born. He was, um, he was, uh, I had a rough delivery with him. Um, they, they, it went on for a long, I was, you know, in labor for like two hours, they would come in and they'd give me oxygen and make me turn over because the baby wasn't getting enough oxygen or whatever. Um, They had to use forceps to finally deliver him. Um, And then, and his APGAR score was a little bit low, but then, you know, but he, you know, he was, he was okay. Her third child, however, was a challenge she would never have expected. And then the next day the pediatrician came in, um, you know, to see him and he came in and he sat down on my bed um, and he said, listen, um, there's a couple of things we want to check out. His ears are are a little scrunched up Mm -hmm. uh, and kidneys, I think it was the kidneys or liver liver form at the same time of the ears. He says, so we want to do an x-ray and just make sure that, you know, his kidneys are okay. And, and, uh, and also his, um, he had a hypospadias, which means that his, his peepee hole was here, Mm. not on the tip. It was in the wrong spot. Um, so he says, I'm going to recommend that you see a urologist because he's probably going to need surgery. Um, but other than that, you know, yeah. I'm 25, you know, yeah. like, what do I, right? Right. Um, I'm like, okay, okay, all right. You know, I'm like, uh, you know, his ears will straighten out and everything will be okay. Um, so they waited till he was a year old before they did surgery because you don't want to do it on, a, on an infant. And we took him to, uh, uh, the man that developed this, this operation is called Flip Flap. And what they do, they wouldn't let me circumcise him because they need the new right, skin. Right, right they do is they make this they make an incision here and they it's it goes down around and up like this and they flip it down and and they construct a new urethra and then flip it back up and stitch it back up and it it was like it was it was all swollen and purple and it was like like a like a little baby bird you know it reminded me of and I had to put the I had to put you know like neosporinet and gauze before he closed up his diaper and he screamed oh gosh it was awful and um and then for some reason it came it started to come undone and he had to have the surgery done again um oh, bless him. and that oh poor baby poor baby um and then his development was a little bit slow you know he kind of took him a while to sit up and it took him a while to crawl and you know he didn't crawl until he was about a year old as oh, opposed wow. to six or eight okay. months right and then he didn't walk until he was like maybe 18 months and yeah. He would get sick. He, he, he'd get, he had, when he was like six months old, he got laryngitis. I mean, like who gets, what baby gets laryngitis? Like he was crying. He like lost his voice. Like I slept with him next to me because I was afraid if he woke up, I wouldn't hear him, you know, cry. 
And, um, and, and it was, he got asthma at like a year and a half and we put him on this medicine that made him really hyper. And that's when he finally let go of the couch and took off and walked to oh. <laughs> Um, and he would do like these funny things. Like he'd sit in the chair and he, he'd push real hard and he'd like this. And we're like, what the heck is he doing? You know? Right. And like, okay, that's, he's funny. You know, he's getting yeah. excited. And, and then, and then he'd go he'd find a toy in the other room. He'd find like a ball and he'd run over to the kitchen and he'd just, and he'd drop it on the floor and just watch it roll across the floor. And then he'd do this and get all excited. And they're like, okay, this kid is odd, you know, but he's funny. Yeah. And then, and then he's like two years old, you know, and then we, and we'd be outside and he'd see a puddle and he would be so excited. He would go over and he'd put his head down in the puddle and he'd stand up and then he, with, with his head wet and walk, let the water drip down his face and he'd look up and he'd laugh and he'd give, and they're like, this kid is hilarious. We'd go to the, we'd go to the playground and he didn't really want to play in the toys. He saw the puddle and he'd want to go, you know, play in the puddle. Right. Um, so I, uh, I, I was working out at, at a different place. I was working at a Y and I went, you know, I was teaching aerobics again. I would do the same thing. I'd put him in the nursery. Right. And, um, you know, I'd teach a class and I'd go pick him up. Um, but I, I, I noticed that he, he really didn't play with toys and do things that the other mm-hmm. kids did. Uh, he liked to watch TV. He loved, he, right. he loved watching Disney. My girls had all the Disney movies right. and he loved watching the Disney and he would watch it over and over and over again. And, uh, and that's all he wanted to do. And, but when I dropped him in the nursery, he would say, mama, yeah, mama, like, you know, any kid cries for the right. mommy when they go, you know, right. say mama, or he would say, if he wanted his bottle, he say, he would say he wants his baba, or he would say bye-bye, yeah, a couple of words. Um, but it was usually only when he was upset, like, because right. I dropped him in the nursery, you know, and, um, and Christmas came along, and he was really cute. His birthday was December 27th, so he was, uh, he was two, um, and it was really cute that that Christmas because I had video and stuff of him like he would kind of do like odd play. But he he, but he, he was alert. He knew who was where and what was going on and, and all that. But and then by March. I think it was March, maybe it was April or May. It was kind of the end of gymnastics uh, mm-hmm. season. Right. And the, and the parents all come and observe what right. the kids have learned. Right. And I used to drive a little girl with my daughters to gymnastics. Um, cause a mom worked, she was a speech therapist. So the mom was there and she's asking me, you know, how's Robbie doing? And I said, you know, let me, I gotta ask you something. I said, I, I, it's been a couple months since I think I've heard him say anything. And, I, and she went, what? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, he only talks to me when he's stressed, you know, I said, but you know, she says, you need to get him evaluated right. now. And meanwhile, I had been talking to my pediatrician and telling him these certain things, right. you know, like he's not really talking. He said, don't worry, he's fine. There's nothing wow. wrong with him. He said, he said, uh, my own brother didn't talk till he was five years old because he, he said he has older sisters. They do everything for him. He doesn't mm. need to talk. I'm like, okay, okay. you know, right. um, but, you know, and I kept asking him, he's like, don't worry, don't worry, he's fine. So she's the first person that said, yeah. you need to get him checked. So I went back to my pediatrician and I said, this lady said he needs to be checked. Well, there was a woman that was working in the practice. Uh, also, my pediatrician now had, a, had a, a woman doctor. So I saw her this time and I told her mm-hmm. and she says, here's what you need to do. Bring him to right. the hospital. They're going to do a speech and hearing about for him. Um, and I, you know, and I talked to them and 
you know, does he have any speech? I said, well, he said six words, you know, but I haven't heard him say it, you know, does he do this? Does he do that? They, they tested his hearing. It's, um, it's a bear test, they call it, where they put like a, a monitor on the back of your ear right here and they make a noise and then it'll, it, it, mm -hmm. it can tell if your eardrum vibrates or not. So it's not like you have to say, right. you know what I mean? Like regular right. hearing test. Um, and what they found was that there was a delay from the time that he hears it until it registers in his brain, right? There was a delay. What does that mean? I don't know. So they, um, so after that, they, they recommended that I start taking him to the Summit Speech School, which is for hearing impaired kids. And what they, what we had figured was he had, uh, he had a few ear infections at this point and we had put tubes in his ears. And um, so we just figured he's hearing speech delayed because of having the ear infections right. all right. the time. He's just not hearing high pitched sounds, mm -hmm. you know, so we just need to get him into the speech school for the hearing impaired kids and eventually, you know, yeah. catch up. So I used to bring him to this group therapy with all these other kids and all these other parents. And then you sit together and you play for a while. Then the parents would go off and the therapist would work with the kids and the parents, we have our little group where we would talk and, and, um, but he wasn't, he wasn't interested, you know, and I watched them, they would take a car and they'd go zoom, zoom, zoom. And then the little kids would make the same noise, yeah. zoom, zoom, zoom. Robbie would just take the car and throw it across the room. He wanted nothing yeah. to do with it. And he would just spend the whole time screaming, you know? Oh, wow. And, um, uh, they, and then, and they would do like, um, uh, you know, little occupational therapy things, right. you know, and, and he didn't like the touch. He didn't like to, to, to feel the, the touch of certain things. Anyway, eventually the therapist said, look, she says, I'm not allowed to say this. She says, but I think you need to get him evaluated for autism. She says, I'm not allowed to diagnose. So don't right. tell anybody I'm saying this, right. you know, but I think you should get him, you know, tested for that. With a rocky marriage, and her relationship with her father hanging by a thread, Cindy could barely make sense of this news. Autism? What was that? Surely this couldn't be right. In the next episode of Cindy's Life, she musters the strength to face severe developmental challenges with her son Robbie, while still clinging to her hope of being the parent she never had. Thanks again for listening to Kava the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures in podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kava the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you've found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>